a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. If you're a first-time wrong thinker, steady there. It's a little bit intimidating because engaging in wrong think means simply thinking for yourself. It means questioning the narratives that are being thrown at you from every possible direction. By the way, it means questioning anything that I'm telling you as well. Just because, well, I ain't all that. It's not like I'm I'm not the smartest guy and I, I don't have all the answers, but I will tell you this. I sincerely look for solid, credible, and, and principled information. If, if you want to ask, well, what's the difference between you and everybody else out there yakety-yacking? It's this. I seek sources that bring light and understanding to, to what I know of the world. If it's just more anger, if it's just more, you know, bitterness, and uh, you should hate them and be angry and look at this outrage. Where's your outrage? I played that game once upon a time. I don't do it anymore. I'm, I'm tired of it. I, I uh, learned some time ago that I just don't want to be a source for more anger in the world. Okay, so whatever I talk about, I'm trying to do it in such a way it doesn't bring more fear or anger to the table. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to talk about some, you know, fairly uh, intense things. But I do this with the understanding that, you know, there are people out there who are looking for truth. I believe you are one of them. And some people are looking for their truth, minus the sugar coating, minus the uh, spin that makes it somehow somebody else's fault that this is going on or that uh, just affirms, no, everything's cool. Everything's fine. This is fine. Look, the house is burning, but look, we're warm. It's great. We still have a roof over our heads for a few more minutes. (laughs) Speaking of which, I uh, I know that we've all seen, you know, indications that the economy is not doing so well. How do I know that? Well, pretty much every time I go grocery shopping, I'm like, dang, holy cow, that is so expensive. You probably feel it too. And I saw this meme the other day. Um, It was uh, was just a a picture of Lois from Family Guy. And she's, she's paying a bill through her phone. And it says, all right, rent paid. Now I have a place I can starve. (laughs) I was like, oh, that is, oh, that's cold, but. I don't see any error in it. So I think uh, I'm going to start with with what I think is probably some of the more um, difficult news to to assimilate. Oh, and before I do, quick quick mention of my sponsors. I want to mention Ironsight Brewing Company, tmcpnation.com. Uh, Ironsight Brewing Company, by the way, there's a link to them, ironsightbc.com. I hope you'll click on it. If you're, if you're a coffee drinker, you will really want to get to know these guys. Also, quiltandsew.com and lifesavingfood.com. Okay, sponsors mentioned. Let's talk a little bit about the economy. The political class and their uh, enablers in the media would like us to believe that, well, despite what you think you feel when you gas up your car or when you buy groceries, everything is going great. In fact, the economy is improving. In fact, thanks to the, the steady hand of our president, you know, we, we, can, we can breathe easy that everything is, is going just fine. But that's not true. And I actually want to, to turn to an article, uh, pick this one up off of moneymetals.com. 
which, by the way, another great resource, particularly if you are following monetary policy or simply, you know, you have an interest in, in precious metals. But this is from Clint Signer, and it's about how Biden isn't telling the truth about the economy. He says the people behind Joe Biden know the president has a political problem when it comes to the U.S. economy. Americans are painfully aware of the rampant price inflation. Small businesses which survived the COVID-era lockdowns are still struggling. And despite a string of rosier-than-expected jobs reports, overall employment is still below 2019 levels. Now, as the nation heads into a presidential election year, uh, Americans are going to be flooded with terrible takes on the economy. Some of these takes will be deliberate lies. Others could be attributed to basic economic illiteracy. In fact, the nonsense has already begun. This is a tweet that Biden posted following, uh, or that he posted the following statement on X, formerly Twitter, back on November 30th. Maybe you remember this one. Quote, let me be clear to any corporation that hasn't brought their prices back down, even as inflation has come down, it's time to stop the price gouging. Give a, excuse me, give American consumers a break. The president wants to believe, or he wants you to believe, that the only thing keeping prices higher right now are greedy corporations who are gouging consumers. In fact, there's even kind of an implied threat of government enforcers showing up to punish businesses who don't voluntarily lower prices. I believe we saw uh, Justin Trudeau say something similar about the grocery stores in Canada. Now, both, it's, it's impossible to say whether the president or whomever is running his social media is being moronic or dishonest. Both are unfortunately equally plausible. But there's a, a meme that sums up pretty well the absurdity in the president's tweet. And it's a pr- rather hefty, overweight person, you know, holding a tape measure saying, well, I gained 70 pounds in 2021. I gained 65 pounds in 2022. I gained 35 pounds in 2023. I'm so excited that I'm losing weight. Yeah, <laughs> it, tells the, it tells the tale, doesn't it? Now, back to the article. Mr. Siegler says, prices are still rising just as they have over the vast majority of the past century. Companies cannot bring their prices back down, as Joe Biden demands, while their costs are still going up, at least not if they want to remain in business. He says the official inflation statistics show prices rising at a slower rate than a year or two ago, but that's about it. At no time has the CPI turned negative. And as many gold bugs know, the bureaucrats behind the consumer price index shouldn't be trusted. So it was encouraging to see ex-users respond to Biden's tweet by pointing out prices are still rising in the attached community notes. Now, to be fair, he says, for the, the blame for price inflation and the rot in the U.S. economy needs to be shared liberally around Washington, D.C. and with the Federal Reserve. In other words, Biden is not solely responsible, as many Republicans who are running for office will ask you to believe. But it's also fair to say that Biden has contributed to the inflation problem by pushing the federal budget above $2 trillion annually. The main thing for investors is to inoculate themselves against the sort of economic misinformation they can expect from politicians and the corporate media as we move closer to the election next fall. Again, this is from Clint Signer. He's a director at Money Metals Exchange. And I'll have a link to this in my show notes if you want to check him out at the Brian Hyde Show. Dot com. So this this asks the, or this begs the question then, okay, but what can I do about it, right? And I feel the same way because you and I, we don't really have personal control over the economy. We don't, we don't have our hands on the levers of power and we're not likely to, you know, be able to, to shift that. 
But that doesn't mean that we're just helpless little kittens, you know, now waiting for some kind stranger, you know, in an official-looking position to come by and save us. This is where we have to be a little bit smarter. Maybe we have to be a lot smarter. Now, being out of debt, of course, is one of the smartest things we can do. I have been so close at times. I'm not there right now. But uh, but when I do, I will be doing the Dave Ramsey scream of <laughs> joy that uh, that comes from from getting all of your debt taken care of. It's not easy, and it's and it's getting tougher because our cost of living has increased. Everyone is paying more for the basic things that they need, and it's we're not talking necessarily even just food and shelter, you know, and fuel. Yeah, those are necessities. But think about the other things that you need. I've oh man, I was going over the budget here a few weeks ago. My wife, she does our books. She's very, very smart. She's a math teacher. And she was just listing out, these are the automatic withdrawals that that are going to come in in the course. And I was looking at all of the various insurances that we pay. Some of which, you know, of course, by law, you have to do that. You're a bad person if you don't. But from life insurance, from health insurance and car insurance, I can understand why people refer to it as the insurance mafia. Because they've collaborated with government to, hey, it'd be really nice if you could arrange for, you know, the citizens to purchase a product that they need. You know, God forbid something happens or something like that. I don't know. All I know is there's coercion behind some of it, the health insurance and auto insurance particularly. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, everybody ought to get rid of insurance. I think certainly you ought to be able to evaluate the risks, but you really don't have a choice. And there's a huge chunk I'm sorry, a huge chunk of uh, monthly income that can go to satisfying all the different insurance requirements that you need. Healthcare. Anybody looked at the price on <laughs> having anything done? It's, it's terrible. Bottom line here is this, though. Get out of debt. Save money when you can. In other words, put something aside. I favor not just, you know, stacking, you know, stacking it up in my bank account where it's losing purchasing power with every passing minute, thanks to inflation. I don't believe in, you know, stuff your mattress with those dollar bills. Make sure, you know, that that you've, you've got plenty of cash on hand. I think you should have some cash. You should probably have some precious metals on hand. You should have other commodities on hand. I think some crypto would also be a good idea. I'm having a hard time getting my wife on board with that one. Simply because, uh, like a lot of people, it's new. To her, it's unproven. I'll keep working on it, though, but I'm saying don't put all your eggs in one basket. Also, build your network of friends and family that you could count on in tough times. And do it now. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Thanks again for joining me today. Again, I want to express my my deepest gratitude to those of you who not only send kind wishes, but uh, those of you who financially support this program. You know who you are. I thank you for your support and and for uh, not only you know encouraging me, but also uh, being generous in, in how you do it. Um, I, I don't do this because this is the surest path to, to fame and fortune. In fact, I found out this is the surest path not to achieve fame and fortune because it seems like uh, the, the real fame and fortune, I mean, the people who really make it big, 
at some point have to confront the decision, do I sell my soul or not? In other words, they can do extremely well if they're willing to allow themselves to be co-opted. And, uh, and it's, you know, they do very well. By the way, you know, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to say you should never listen to them, therefore. I'm just saying if they were any threat to the existing power structure, if they were actually teaching principles or exposing people to ideas or things that, uh, that made a difference, they would not be allowed to occupy the positions of prominence that they, that they currently have. By the way, Tucker Carlson's a good example of, ah, he got a little too close to the truth. Boom, out he goes. Now, he is doing pretty well on his uh, Tucker Carlson network. He's had some very interesting guests and so forth. But, you know, the, the bottom line is it's, it's pretty tough to get the truth or to speak the truth, rather, you know, if you want to be in good standing with the people in power. They don't like it. It's very threatening. And what was it that happened? Oh, the, during the debate, uh, the Republican candidates debate last week. I don't know how many people saw this, but the timing on this was so curious. Megyn Kelly asked a question about, I believe it was about the vaccines, the, the COVID vaccines. And suddenly there was eight minutes of technical difficulties, which is a shame because someone saved the, the footage. Someone had, had footage that didn't cut out. And so they saw what most viewers did not see. Most viewers saw the screen go to black or at least go to, oh, we're having technical difficulties, and then like six minutes of commercials. Those who actually got to see the answer, primarily it was from Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, he lit up those vaccine companies, the drug companies. He talked about, you know, the, the incredible amount of money that was made by them, the incredible protection afforded them by government. But all of that was kept from the public's eyes as best they could. I don't know I don't know who or how someone was able to get, you know, the actual, you know, unedited footage. But my point is, that's not what the majority of people who watched that debate saw. And isn't it curious that it would go out, boom, right then. Kind of an interesting uh, bit of timing. I know. <laughs> well, where's my tinfoil? I better put it on here before they start reading my thoughts and understand I'm very suspicious of this. All right, I'm going to turn away from that for a few moments here. Let's talk about something a little closer to home. How are you feeling about Christmas this year? Other than the fact it's approaching at approximately light speed. If Christmas is getting a little too crass, a little too commercial for your liking, maybe it's time to restore some of the traditions that made it special. Annie Holmquist has some thoughts on recreating an old-fashioned Christmas or at least the old-fashioned Christmas traditions within the next generation. She always has a solid take on stuff, so I thought this would be worth your while. She says, glance around social media in recent years, and one would think American Christmas traditions revolve around elf-on-the-shelf pranks, movies such as A Christmas Story and Home Alone, and tortured portrait sessions that magically become pristine family photo cards. Now, these can all be fun Christmas traditions, but she says, take a step back, and look at them with an objective eye for a moment. Do they ever seem a bit, well, shallow, if not self-centered and busy? If so, perhaps it's time to start some new traditions with your children this holiday season, but not new ones such as the trends that constantly pop up on social media. She says, I'm talking about looking to the past for some fresh insight, starting with one of my favorite Christmas traditions, which is reading old-fashioned Christmas stories. 
Now, Annie says her love for old-fashioned Christmas tales started the Christmas when she was 11. That's when her parents gave her a book titled Christmas in My Heart. Edited by Joe Wheeler, the book's contents were culled from old St. Nicholas magazines and other short story venues, many hailing what Mr. Wheeler called the golden age of story writing during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Wheeler published 30 of these volumes, many of which sit on her bookshelf, just waiting for someone to curl up with one in front of the Christmas tree. But these stories offer more than just a cozy hour by the fire. These stories also provide a wealth of Christmas traditions that have the potential to bless both young and old. And Annie Holmquist says here are just a few of the possibilities drawn from these old-fashioned stories to try to make your children to try to make to try with your children rather this holiday season. First one is make homemade gifts. Oh, I know people are maybe hey, what? homemade's never as good as store bought. But she talks about uh, the Christmas of 1955 being a slim one for uh, the Tennessean family of J. Stephen Kahn. Now, in his story, A Homespun Christmas. He talks about how medical bills overwhelmed the small salary from which his father provided for 12 children. So his father decreed that only homemade items would be allowed for Christmas. And on Christmas morning, potholders, bows and arrows fashioned from sticks in the woods, and coupon books were found under the tree. Mr. Kahn wrote, I noticed something unusual inside myself as I made my way down the stairs, a feeling that I never had before. Sure, I was excited about opening the gifts with my name on them. But most of all, I couldn't wait to watch my brothers and sisters open the gifts that I had made for them. I think just about everybody must have felt the way I did. End quote. So, uh, try a homespun Christmas in your family this year, encouraging your children to make crafts or to give service to others instead of store-bought presents. It may just rekindle the joy, wonder, and excitement of giving to others. Next, she suggests, give to a curmudgeon. We all have people who get under our skin or who we'd rather avoid. Nowhere is this better depicted than in Hartley F. Daly's Depression-era story, The Red Mittens. That's the tale of a poor farmer, his eight-year-old daughter Linda, and the grumpy neighboring farmer, Old Man Riggs. Despite the unneighborly relationship between the two farms, Linda determines to make the old man a pair of mittens, wrapping and placing them on Riggs' porch on Christmas Eve. The next morning, old man Riggs' Model T turned into our drive, Linda's father explained. He had his usual death grip on the wheel, but on his hands were the flaming red mittens. Now, at Christmas time, it's always easy to give to those we love. But Annie says it's often those who are the most unlovable, the curmudgeons among us, who need gifts the most. Seeking those individuals out, giving them a little unexpected love, might just be the beginning of a surprising and rewarding relationship. Next, she talks about peace and goodwill toward men. And she references the story of The Last Straw by Paula Palangi MacDonald, a story of sibling sibling rivalry and bickering. I'm going to just jump ahead because there's a couple more of these. Um, Also, invite a stranger. Sometimes the loneliest among us are the ones who put on a good front. That was the case with Jolly Miss Enderby, a cheerful second grade teacher depicted in a story by Paul Gallico. And while Miss Enderby puts up a good front about eating Christmas dinner in a restaurant, her waitress senses that the woman might need a friend, so she asks Miss Enderby to be her Christmas dinner guest at a family party. Drying her secret tears, Miss Enderby joyfully accepts, saying, Oh, Bella, I would love to. What a happy Christmas you'll give me. In a day when broken families and loneliness are more prevalent than ever, 
there are likely many Miss Enderbys around us spending what's supposed to be the most joyful day of the year in solitude and loneliness. So why not make it a new tradition by finding your own Miss Enderby and inviting that person to your family holiday gathering? And then she also talks about celebrating Little Christmas or Epiphany on January 6th. This is what Margaret Greaves does in Agnes Sly Turnbull's Merry Little Christmas after a disappointing holiday. I'll let you uh, discover the rest of this for yourself, but I hope you'll take the time to read Annie's article. And by the way, she clicks links, or she has links you can click to each one of these stories that she describes. Maybe it's something that'll, you know, spark a new tradition in your household. If nothing else, if you're going to be around young ears as part of your family celebration, some of these stories might be well worth sharing. Again, planting some seeds for future Christmases to come. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Hey, I want to take just a moment here to, uh, again, point you toward Ironsight Brewing Company. Please click on the sponsor link that I share in my daily show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. And again, if you're a coffee drinker, this is a subscription that I think you may want to consider. From the roaster to your cup in 72 hours, free shipping over $99. I mean, if, if you are someone who just can't get your day started, why don't you try... Uh, why don't you try out this uh, ironsightbc.com, Ironsight Brewing Company, and see what you can figure out. Again, I don't know much about coffee. I'm not a coffee connoisseur, but uh, I'll tell you what, it's it sure seems to be on a lot of people's radar as an essential part of their day. I'm proud to have him as a sponsor. John Harvey is a good friend of mine. In fact, I'm going to have him on the show to talk a little bit about the origins of what he's been doing. In the meantime... Are you uh, finding trouble distancing yourself from some of the growing division in society? I'm okay until I spend a little too much time on X, formerly Twitter. And, you know, I know it's it's not my place to be, you know, the crossing guard or to be the hall monitor and try to put people in their place. But, oh, I get, I get tired of some of the histrionics and some of the bullying that I see going on there. And just there, there are people for whom... I guess they, they're, they're just so determined to tell you what they're against. You never really know what they stand for, but you dang well know what they're against. And um, sometimes that really rubs me the wrong way. So when I saw Devin Foley's article on intellectualtakeout.org, I was impressed because he talks about rest and quiet contemplation, what we need more of. Now, this is a reprint from uh, December of 2017. So keep in mind, this was written at a time when the world was actually quite a bit more sane than it appears today. Devin Foley said at meetings, conferences, receptions, even during the casual conversations, I'm inevitably asked if I saw so-and-so stir the pot on the talk show or so-and-so on the stir the pot talk show last night, or if I listened to talking head Bob this afternoon on his critique everything radio show. Inevitably, he says, my answer is no. The same sort of questions arise when it comes to the latest release of Talking Talking Head Jane's book or her most recent editorial. Sorry, but I probably didn't read them. Now, Devin says, if I'm honest with myself, I could take the time to do so, but why? 
How much do we really benefit from being continuously plugged in and outraged? How much can the chattering class actually help me be a better person, a better husband, a better father, or a better boss? He's got a good point. If their job is just to get you outraged, how is that making you better? I know, for some people, but I'm showing outrage. Doesn't that show what a good person I am? I'm outraged about the proper things. Uh Uh-huh. See a lot of that. Back to the article. Devin says, it's not that I don't read or listen or watch. I just read, listen, and watch very different things. He says, it's easy to be sucked into the world of the chattering class to believe that you must always be engaged, reading, watching, commenting, tweeting, messaging, sharing pictures, and on and on and on. And if you're not... Well, then you're uninformed and a disengaged citizen. Then there is, of course, the sense that if we're not personally sharing every thought and detail or detail of our life and commenting on everybody else's updates, that we're somehow not connected, don't have friends, or we're missing out on opportunities. But again, what do we really gain by being plugged in and oversharing other than elevated blood pressure and a bad case of paranoia, narcissism, or both? No, he says... Life is already far too busy with plenty of distractions and stresses. Perhaps we would do better to use our time to focus on those things we can impact personally. Oh, he's on to something here. Now, to do so requires time for rest and quiet contemplation. In the book on Christian contemplation, Thomas Merton argues, contemplation must be possible if man is to remain human. He continues, quote, Man has an instinctive need for harmony and peace, for tranquility and order and meaning. None of those seem to be the most salient characteristics of modern society. We must face the fact that the mere thought of contemplation is one which deeply troubles the person who takes it seriously. It's so contrary to the modern way of life, so apparently alien, so seemingly impossible, that the modern man who even considers it finds at first that his whole being rebels against it. We would like to be quiet, but our restlessness will not allow it. End quote. Now, Devin says guilty is charged. So much of our lives are wrapped up in doing, while simply being is actually hard to do. As a society, we place little to no value on regular, purposeful, and quiet solitude. Indeed, such behavior is often considered antisocial. Now, he says, when I was growing up, work seemed to be the measure of my value. If you didn't work do chores, help out, then you are wasting time and holding the family back. Similarly, many American workers are expected to be perpetually connected to work, checking email on their phones whenever they're away from the office, even on vacation, and burning the midnight oil to stay on top of their duties. Taking time to rest and reflect is perceived as something that takes away from the bottom line. Yet, there's a tremendous value in rest and quiet contemplation. Furthermore, he says there's strong evidence that in our technological plugged-in society, contemplation is even more necessary. As Merton explains, quote, Ancient and traditional societies, whether of Asia or of the West, always specifically recognized the way of the wise, the way of spiritual discipline, in which there was at once wisdom and method, and by which, whether in art, in philosophy, in religion, or in the monastic life, some men would some men rather would attain to the inner meaning of being they would experience this meaning for all of their brothers they would so to speak bring together the, in themselves the divisions or complications that confused the lives of their fellows by healing the divisions in themselves they would help heal the divisions of the whole world 
Science and technology are indeed admirable in many respects, and if they fulfill their promises, they can do much for man, but they can never solve his deepest problems. On the contrary, without wisdom, without the intuition and freedom that enable man to return to the root of his being, science can only precipitate him still further into the centrifugal flight that flings him in all his compact and uncomprehending isolation into the darkness of outer space without purpose and without objective. End quote. That's deep. That's worth reading a couple of times. And yes, there is a link to this article in my show notes. So while the news serves a purpose, Devin Foley says, is it possible that, as Merton argues, the franticness of modern life and the great uncertainties arising from a hyper-competitive global economy are further aggravated by obsessing over the perpetual classes of ch- clashes rather of the chattering class? In other words, why does their beef have to be your beef? Devin Foley says our nation is divided. There's no doubt about it. But what would happen if more of us turned off the TV and the radio, if we quit or dialed back social media and used our time instead to root our being, discern wisdom, and find peace? Now, I know for some people this is their sense of identity, though, but I'm in the fight. You know, I'm, I'm holding forth. I'm boldly defending, you know, whatever needs to be defended. Hey, I have felt that way myself at times. And yet the craziest thing is, if you will take the time to make room for peace or to make it a priority or at least make it a priority not to bring further anger or fear into the world, you will find that uh, you are solving problems. But the craziest part of all is solving these problems starts with, with us, solving ourselves or at least fixing ourselves. I think Jordan Peterson would back me up on this. Right, Jordan? That's right. He says, make your bed. (laughs) Clean up your room. Before you go fixing the world, get your own life squared away. By the way, that's not something that you need to feel like, well, I should have that done, you know, with a snap of the fingers, like flipping a switch. There, I'm all squared away. Even the most squared away people you know are not completely squared away, or at least they wouldn't pretend that, yes, I've, I've got it all under control. There are still things they're working on. The fact that they seem squared away is probably just evidence that they've been working on it for a while. It's a process. It's a journey, okay? It's not not necessarily a destination, but there's no better time to start than right now. And the best part of all, and this I think this really speaks to the whole purpose for why do you need that quiet contemplation and rest? Because that's where you will find peace. I mean, this is nothing new, okay? This is not like, wow, we just we just reinvented the wheel here. Confucius taught about this a long time ago. Talked about the wise men who wanted order in their communities and in their kingdoms. They started first with finding order in their hearts. They reconciled their inarticulate thoughts. And when their hearts were in order, then they set about putting their households in order. When their households were in order, then they set about uh, putting their neighborhoods in order. Then their communities and then their kingdoms. But notice where it starts. It all starts with the person looking back at you in the mirror. That's the person you have influence over. That's the person who has to do what you tell him or her to do. 
And that's the person who's going to make the difference. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I thought I'd take a, a little detour here for a couple of moments. And just, I want to share two articles with you. One of them is the article of the day. We'll get to that in a moment. But I saw this, uh, this was shared on Substack, and it just seemed so good. I thought, yeah, I'd kind of like to, I'd like to see how, how this one goes. This is uh, from the School of the Unconformed, Substack. And it's called Sewing Anachronism, How to Be Weird in Public and Private. Now, maybe it's just because the older I get, the more I realize how anachronistic I am in my own life. <clears throat> There's things that I prefer, you know, that uh, that my kids are like, really? Dad, that's, you know, the music that I listen to? Actually, I got to give credit. My kids, this is, this is such a great uh, honor to me. My oldest kids all have, actually, I think all of my kids have what they call the dad music playlist. And you have to understand, because I, I got my start in radio at a very early age, I think I just barely had turned 19, and I was I was exposed to a lot of music that I wouldn't otherwise have, have chosen to listen to myself. My first job was on an adult standard station, which meant, you know, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, Edie Gourmet, you know, stuff that, that really was not what I would have considered great music because I was more wanting to hear Def Leppard and, you know, Brian Adams. Nope, I was I was stuck playing my parents' music. But here's the upside. I came to find that uh, there's incredible music from every era. And so I have collected songs from every conceivable genre and I have really learned to appreciate them. And my kids were exposed to this, especially when we would take long road trips as a family. You know, dad's music would come out and so my kids all have a little playlist of songs that remind them of me. I mean, I take it as this huge compliment that my daughter in Germany says, Dad, every time I hear uh, Glenn Campbell's Wichita Lineman, it makes me cry because it reminds me so much about you. And I'm just, wow. You know, that's, that's quite a quite a thing. But, you know, the song itself, very anachronistic. It, it would not sound like anything going on today. Beautiful uh, orchestration and Glenn Campbell and his guitar. I mean, just good stuff. But let's talk about being weird in public. You want to be in, if you want to be, if you're going to be considered anachronistic, you might as well lean into it. So they offer some great tips here. And uh, flipping your phone is one of them. Go to a light phone or a flip phone. I know, that's not a smartphone. But uh, there are situations where, you know, you need to be reachable. Most everyday situations, though, don't require us to be as tethered as we are. I mean, do you know anybody who does not or who has never had a cell phone? What would you think of them? I mean, it's, it's a possible choice. It's just a lot of people choose not to do it. And so when people say, well, hey, how can, how can, uh, you know, how can I get a hold of you? Well, you can reach me by landline or email. I'll get back to you when I'm available. Like we used to do in the old days. <laughs> oh, it's it's funny. And they, by the way, they have some helpful phrases too. You know, if you run into people who are like, why would you do that? 
You know, do you accommodate people who choose not to use a cell phone? Or may I ask why you choose to prioritize customers who place orders digitally over customers who are present here and now? You've seen the stores that do this. Did you place your order online? Did you order online? Or I choose not to take a, I choose not to use a cell phone. Can I still take advantage of your offer without a QR code? Here's another way to be anachronistic. Walk and get your bearings straight. In other words, uh, don't use GPS. Write down instructions. In fact, maybe even make a simple hand-drawn map. This is one of the things. This is. I feel like I'm a good dad when my 23, almost 23-year-old son tells me, Dad, I just got a really great road atlas. Found it, uh, you know, and, and I saw it and thought, man, I want that. Why? Because I told him we won't always have our phones, you know, and, and you know, electronic navigation to guide us. And he did. He picked up a beautiful road atlas. I think, oh, yeah, that's right. That's how we used to do it back in the day. We didn't have turn-by-turn directions. Sometimes, if you can believe this, we actually had to stop and ask people. Yes, they were usually cavemen, and we had to stand outside and grunt until they came out and pointed the direction and grunted, go that way. Okay. I kid, but you you get the picture. Also, if you want to be anachronistic, choose ink. You ever write things by hand anymore? I don't, mainly because my handwriting is atrocious. But uh, it also, (laughs) I found that handwriting is also a perishable skill. I get more illegible the less I write things by hand. And yet, my mom has shown me handwritten letters that I sent her when I was a missionary. I still have handwritten letters my dad sent me over the years, you know, before he passed away. And um, they're precious, tangible evidence of someone else in their own handwriting. Marvelous stuff. They suggest um, building a free, a little free library. We used to have one of these in our neighborhood in Lehigh, Utah. Just a little, almost like, it looks like a a rather oversized birdhouse, but it has a door and shelves and a little glass window, and people put books in there. And you can come check it out, take, bring, or keep, whatever. It's never empty. People are always exchanging books. Here's another suggestion. Read or knit. My son Forrest right now is is living in Germany. He's studying uh, molecular biology at a rather prestigious little university in in uh, in Deutschland. And I was kind of surprised the last time he came to visit. This is before he moved to Germany. I noticed he he carries knitting with him, and it's something he does to keep his hands. Free. This kid is brilliant. I mean this this kid is he. This is his postgraduate work he's doing. And he is one of the smartest people I know, but he likes to knit. He likes to keep his hands busy. Here's another suggestion for the uh, uh, for sowing seeds of anachronism: leave the kids alone. Let them discover. Let them play. Don't hover over them like a frightened helicopter. And this is just a sampling of some of the things they suggest. There's actually part one, part two. I can't tell if does it go on to part three. But uh, just great ways to, to be anachronistic. And, and here's the beautiful thing. Find your anachronism. Use a flip phone in public. Take a pilgrimage to the grocery store. Debate Jane Eyre with a friend at a cafe. Sing Handel's Hallelujah Chorus to an urban crowd. Knit a scarf on the subway. Say grace in Latin at a Bristol airport restaurant. Ripple the unbroken digital service surface. Change yourself and the people around you with the good, the beautiful, and the quirky. And most of all, with the things that truly keep us human. I don't know why, but that just, that hit me just right. 
probably not a message for everybody. But if it was the right one for you, I hope it's it's one that you've enjoyed and find useful. And there's a link in, in my show notes to the article. Again, these are the show notes for December 13th, 2033, 2023. Hello. Just got back from the future, apparently. So um, go to the BrianHydeShow.com. Again, December 13th, 2033. 2023. What the heck? I guess I, I'm... I've had a sense that time is speeding up, but uh, that's that's getting ridiculous. Okay, here's the last article of the day that I want to share with you, or it is the article of the day. You hear talk about statists and statism. I want you to read Patrick Carroll's article that he wrote for the uh, Mises Institute, Mises.org, The Anatomy of the Statist. Look, what makes a statist a statist is the belief that anything that's not under the control of the state is by definition out of control. Also, you'll note that statists, whether they are conservative or whether they are progressive or libertarian, or whether I guess there aren't a lot of libertarian statists because that's one thing that makes libertarians libertarians. They eschew the state. But, uh, you know, there are all different flavors of statist. You can find right-wing as well as left-wing statists. Patrick goes into some of the different kinds of statists and what it is that motivates them. So the humanitarian, we must use force to help the downtrodden. The state should provide a social safety net for those in need. And then you have the egalitarian. Everybody should have the same access to basic services. It's only fair. Then you have the paternalist. It's for your own good. I can't let you do that. Then there's the special interest group member, the utilitarian, the theocrat, the resigned follower, the risk mitigator, the megalomaniac. That's someone who has an unusually strong wish for power and control. Seems to describe a lot of the candidates that we seem to see. In fact, uh, he, Patrick says this is perhaps the purest form of statism. It is someone who genuinely wishes to control others almost for its own sake. And then he delves into the heart of the statist. And he says that the one anatomical feature that every statist shares, almost without exception, is intolerance. They cannot handle someone else thinking or acting differently than what they want. So how do you fortify yourself against becoming a statist? It's called humility. Humble yourself. Take stock of your ignorance and your moral failings, and you'll find your statism comes off like the skin off a snake. You don't have to understand the intricacies of a stateless society. You don't have to have a master's degree in ethics. You just need to say, let's let's live and let live. You do you, I'll do me, and as long as we leave each other alone, we're cool. This is really a great article. I hope you find the time to read it. Check it out at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show.